Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. When I first read Jonathan Last's piece in the Weekly Standard, Six Reasons to Panic, I thought, I can think of 36 reasons to panic, not just six. And my second thought was, oh, come on. I get the headline, but you don't really need to panic, do you? Then I found out that we're letting people expose Ebola on planes and cruise ships. I thought, maybe it is time to panic. Let's ask the Weekly Standards, Jonathan Last. Jonathan, thanks so much for your time. Michael, it's great. I've emerged from my bunker just briefly to speak with you. So uh, there's no room for you and your family, I'm afraid. We have all of our dehydrated food uh, for just us. But good luck. There's good not luck enough. There. Are you sure there's not enough re- room for me in there, Jonathan? Are you sure? Okay, just for you. Just no, for you. you can't crack because uh, when you do, all the neighbors come over and then they, they drag you out and burn your house down. So it's not good. So give us the best reasons to panic over Ebola. Well, as, as I say, my piece, I, I, when we say panic, I mean like a controlled, informed panic, which which really means that, like, you know, we all start taking this actually reasonably seriously. Mm. Uh, the, the reason is because there's a whole lot of stuff that we think we know, but we don't really know, particularly about transmission. Uh, you know, the University of Minnesota's Center for Infectious Disease Research uh, a few weeks ago said, you know what, everybody says it's not airborne, but actually we have some scientific and epidemiological evidence to suggest it might be that when it's aerosolized, uh, you know, in certain situations, you can you can get it. We we haven't actually traced uh, a bunch of transmissions. There are some transmissions, like the nurse in Spain, uh, the two health workers here in Dallas. We don't actually know how they got it. Uh, and and the other thing, and actually, this is not just me being crazy tinfoil hat, you know, guy at the Weekly Standard. I want to say uh, though, I'm a huge fan of Jonathan Last in his crazy tinfoil hat mode. Well, thank you. You, ro- you rock the tinfoil hat, my friend. The good is I actually have mine left over from the Y2K panic, so I just <laughs> dug it out of the closet. Uh, no, no, so a couple, a couple uh, you know, epidemiologists have written about this, and, you know, in, in the Los Angeles Times and the New York Times even, they said, uh, you know, the dirty secret is that viruses mutate in the wild. Mm-hmm. Every time a virus replicates from one person to another, it's like you're rolling the dice 300 million times, you know, as the, the DNA sequences replicate. Uh, so the problem is we are now at a point where more people have Ebola than have ever had the disease in history, right? And every time it passes on, the virus mutates. Uh, what we're seeing right now is a strain called the Guinea EBOV version of Ebola. It's actually distinct from the other four strains which have caused large outbreaks in the past. Uh, and so these things, you know, maybe it's not replicating uh, through the air now, but it might in the future. And these are things that I would say, you know, in the public, we don't want to panic. We don't want to, like, actually go to our bunkers yet. But... Uh, yeah, I would say the people who are studying this pretty seriously and the scientists, uh, they're really worried about this stuff. And I think the happy chat coming out of the official channels is actually not helpful to us. We're talking to Jonathan Last with the uh, Weekly Standard. Um, I've heard some interesting reports about symptoms that we kind of have. We're, we're being told that we know what the symptoms are going to be. We know you're going to have a fever. We know there's going to be vomiting or diarrhea, et cetera. And now I'm hearing from some medical professionals going, no, wait a minute. Some people are, you know, most cases go that way, but a significant percentage are either asymptomatic or, or, or have unusual symptoms. And some people, they have Ebola actually coursing through their veins and they basically feel grumpy. Uh, you know, and also there's actually another sort of depressing thing about this is for the, so, you know, 70% mortality rate, 30% survival rate. For the people who survive, uh, the men remain actually not symptomatic, but transmissible they, through uh, certain sexual bodily fluids. So if you, you know, if you survive Ebola and your first thought is, man, I got to embrace life and run out and, you know, go get with my girl. Uh, no, no, I mean, it becomes a sexually transmitted disease at that point. This is like terrifying, right? Uh, so you can see like second right. wave infections coming off of this. Uh, it's, it's really, 
and you know, with the we don't really know. There's also stuff we don't know. For instance, with Thomas Duncan in Dallas, why did nobody get it in his house? Uh, you know, the place where he was staying, but but people at the hospital did. And maybe it has to do with the, the the viral load, right? So the virus builds in your system. Even once you've become symptomatic, you become more more contagious towards the end than you are towards the beginning. There's, as I said, there's just a whole lot of stuff we don't know about this. And so when, you know, when guys like the CDC chief, Tom Frieden, or when, you know, the president, Barack Obama, just sort of blithely say, you know, oh, you can't get can't catch it on a bus and like that. That's just not helpful. Uh, and I understand what they're trying to do, I think, but but they do the American public a disservice by treating us like we're children who can't handle like, you know, some actual right. real talk, hashtag real talk, as the kids would say. And the uh, what's frustrating to me is there's nothing wrong with saying there's stuff we don't know. And so the phrase I've been using, Jonathan, is uh, uh, mild, excuse me, rational overreaction. We're going to overreact but in a reasonable way to acknowledge what we don't know, which is why I can't understand how were these exposed people able to get on planes and cruise ships? And why wasn't it the policy of the CDC and the Obama administration to tell them, don't do that. Just don't travel until we can follow up in three weeks, four weeks, whatever. You know, because and the reason I think is because these are sort of it's an unfair thing in a sense. If you're, you know, a healthcare worker at Dallas, you didn't ask for this to, to come in to walk into your ER, but it did. But the problem is, if you're gonna not have a travel ban, if you're going to allow people from infected countries into into the U.S., then you have to be willing to be hard-headed on this end with Americans. Right. You know, it's a question of you got to be hard-headed somewhere, right? You know, and it's either sort of at the border or it's in on the interior. Uh, but it, aside from hard headed, it's just silly things. You know, so 70, 70 workers at the, the Dallas hospital uh, were involved in care. There's no reason for that. You should get what you want to do in these situations, actually get the crew having contact with the patient down to as small a number as possible, right? And, and if possible, you have them stay on campus. You don't send them home to their families to then go to the grocery store, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but this requires a level of hard-headedness, which we don't quite have here yet. I think when you look at what happened in Senegal and Nigeria, where they seem to have stopped the infection uh, pretty pretty well, right. they're not in the clear yet, uh, what you see is real hard-headedness. I mean, they were canceling public burials, canceling public, you know, like big public events like weddings and baptisms and stuff. They're just saying, you can't do that right now. We're in the middle of a health crisis. Uh, they closed the borders. You know, they weren't letting anybody in. Uh, that seems to have worked out reasonably well there. I think... In, in a way, you know, the closer you are to actual like contagion and breakout, the easier it is to be hard-headed. The further away you are, right. the easier it is to be. I would not even. I'll just say it. The easier it is to be irresponsible about these things, or st- just plain stupid. I mean, there's certain things that are just plain stupid, like saying that we will we're ordering Americans exposed to Ebola not to fly, but we're allowing people exposed to Ebola in Liberia and Sierra Sierra Leone to fly right in. That's just dumb. Yeah, I, I would say so. And it, it strikes me that either mass, there's either massive incompetence going on or you have people making these choices because they have prior ideological commitments, mm-hmm. which is what I suspect is going on because I don't think these people are massively stupid. Uh, but you never know. It's the government. I, I was about to say, when you find out that the guy appointed to be the new Ebola czar worked for both Al Gore and Joe Biden, it's time to <laughs> bet on stupid, Jonathan B. Last. Absolutely. Thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate your time. Take care, Michael. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.